Right, grab your Bibles, stand on up, open to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 11. Let's read God's word. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is God's word. Father, we do believe that this morning. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here. Um, Lord, and for, for anyone that maybe doesn't believe that, God, I pray that they would be won over <laughs> by the authority, the gravitas um, of your scripture, God, of your word. Lord, thank you so much that we know what you think because you wrote it down and we can study it this morning and interact with it. God, I pray that we would not be dull of hearing this morning. God, that we would be ready for the pure milk, as Peter says, and the meat here, as the author of Hebrews says, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, that you uh, would reveal yourself to us in your scriptures and that we would be good students in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab a seat, guys. Hey, there's a handout for this morning. Uh, some, someone's passing them out. Looks like Trey's passing them out. Thank you, Trey. There's some, uh, yeah, you can follow along in the outline in there. Hopefully that's uh, a blessing to you. Have you ever heard the expression, uh, you are what you eat? You ever heard that? That's true on many levels, right? Uh, it's not only true on a physical, caloric, cellular, reproductive level. Um, that means I may have some McDonald's in my body. Um, no, uh, it's, it's also true in that the expression is saying that what you take in is what you become, right? What you take in is what you become. So, you know, show me your, uh, you know, show me 30 minutes of your unbridled words, meaning saying exactly what you really think about what you really like and what you're really thinking about. Throw, show me that for 30 minutes and I'll show you your diet. I'll tell you what you listen to. I'll tell you what you're watching on social media. I'll tell you what you're taking in. The reality is what we take in is what we pour out. So if you're on the 24-hour news cycle, I guarantee you're probably that person that wants to talk about the news. If you're the person that's like constantly watching videos on YouTube about the hobby that you're into, that's probably what you want to talk about. It's probably what you're thinking about. It's probably what's filling your life. That's the reality. And here's the thing. We're all being discipled. Did you know that? Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, you are being discipled. In fact, the word that it's kind of become a taboo word in our culture, but you're being indoctrinated by everyone and everything. Did you know that? 
You're being indoctrinated. Everyone is trying to indoctrinate you with their worldview, with their philosophy, with their thinking. And so it's not a matter, and listen, this is important. I know there's papers being handed around and stuff. This is important. It's not a matter of if you're a disciple. It's a matter of what you are being discipled by. Okay? Everyone is trying to disciple you. Companies are trying to disciple you to buy their products. Politicians are trying to indoctrinate and disciple you to be part of their constituency. There are people that are trying to indoctrinate you with a philosophy or with a worldview, whatever it is. So, so Jesus really is just saying, hey, do you want to be discipled by me or do you want to be discipled by someone else? There is no place where you're not being discipled. I want you to look really quick. We're going we're to study Hebrews, but I just want you to turn quickly to Mark chapter 4. And this is going to set the table for our discussion this morning. Jesus is uh, it's a very famous section. You're familiar with it probably. It's the part where he's talking about listening. And he's, he gives this parable of these, these uh, four seeds that fall into four different soils. And the diversity is not the seed. The diversity is what? It's the soil, right? Same seed, good seed, nothing wrong with the seed. Four different soils, four different ways of taking in the seed. <clears throat> now, we usually focus on the parable, but I, I just want you to see in chapter 4, verse 23 of Mark, I want you to see what Jesus has to say um, in regards to this parable. He says to, to his audience, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't just talking about sound waves entering our eardrums, right? What is he talking about? He's talking about a certain kind of listening, a type of listening that actually is changed by, affected by, transformed by, moved by what it's hearing. He's saying, if anybody's actually willing to, <laughs> excuse me, listen to what I'm saying, then listen up. <clears throat> Here's what he says in verse 24. <clears throat> he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Okay, in other words, don't be sluggish. Don't be passive in the way that you listen. And then he says something really interesting. He says, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Notice the word use. Use. To the measure that you use what you hear, it will be, you'll, you'll be given more. And then he says, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What an interesting idea that Jesus introduces to his audience. He's like, listen, you need to be careful how you hear because if you listen, then you'll hear more. And the more you hear, the more you'll hear. If you don't listen, you won't hear anything and what you already heard will be taken away. It reminds me of snow. You know, I remember being a little kid and uh, you always want it to snow when you're a little kid, but you don't just want it to snow. What do you want? You want it to stick, right? Because if it sticks, then you go out and play in it. So I remember like sitting at, I still do this actually a little bit as an adult, I'm not going to lie, um, sitting at the window, like watching the big flakes hit the ground and it's nothing more sad than that instant melt. You know what I'm talking about? It's like 35 degrees out, big snowflakes melt. And so what are you hoping, right? You're hoping that maybe one layer will stick because if one layer will stick, it's cold enough for the rest of the flakes to stick and it'll start to build. It's exactly what Jesus is saying here about knowledge, about the truth that he's delivering. He's saying, look, if you listen, more is gonna stick. And the more that sticks, more is gonna stick to that. But if you don't, then every flake is just gonna hit the ground and it's just gonna melt. There's gonna be absolutely nothing there. Jesus talked a lot in the New Testament about the importance of the way in which we listen. And not just the way in which we listen, Listening to sermons is easy. What do you have to do? You just sit there. 
Okay? Listening to the Bible, that's easy. You just turn it on. But he's not just talking about let it in, letting it into your ears. He's talking about actually using it, applying it, letting it affect you and transform you is what he's talking about. Okay, so, so what? Well, here's, here's the question, okay? How's your hearing? How's your hearing? You say, what? That'd be the joke, right? Uh, what? Um, I make that joke every time someone says something about hearing. I say, what? It's not funny. Um, <laughs> clearly, nobody's laughing. Okay, so. How's your hearing? I mean, how, how, how are you listening to God these days? That's the question. I just really want you to think about that this morning. Not how's my wife's listening or how's my kids listening or how's my husband's listening or how's this guy next to me is listening. No, how's your listening? Are your ears attentive? Are they trained to hear the Lord? How loud is God's word in your ear? How loud is it? Here's why this matters. In our text this morning in Hebrews, we've been studying Hebrews for for a few months now. In our text, the author has been prosecuting this idea that Jesus is the sovereign high priest, that he's the priest king, that he is over and above all, and that he is... um, specifically came and became a man so that he can relate with us in this very special way. He can can understand what it looks like to suffer and to be tempted. He's just unpacking this beautiful reality of this high, sovereign, ascended Lord Jesus who's at the right end of the Father, mediating for us, went through the veil, tore the veil. We're in the Holy of Holies now. If we are in communion with Jesus, he sent his spirit. Just a beautiful, massive picture. And then he stops. He pauses in our text this morning. And he basically says this. He says, I'd love to keep going, but you guys are a bunch of big babies. That sounds funny. Kind of meant for it to a little bit. But that's basically what he's saying. You're a bunch of grown babies. So I actually can't, this is what he's going to say. He said, I actually can't continue to unpack these things. I can't continue to show you these things about Christ because you actually aren't mature enough to hear it. Not because you're just a baby, but because you've chosen to be one. So you notice on your outline, the name of the sermon is Don't Be a Big Baby. I, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, don't be a big baby. But seriously, that's kind of, that's kind of the point. I mean, it sounds really simple. That's kind of the point of the passage this morning. He's going to say, I want to say more about Jesus, but you're not going to get it because you've become lazy in your hearing. And then he's going to say, you're, you're old enough in the Lord that you should be teaching people. But instead, I'm having to teach you again. And then he's going to say, your diet has made you ignorant. Your diet has made you vulnerable. And then lastly, he's going to say, you need to grow up by moving away from these types and these shadows into the substance of Christ. That's our text right there in a paraphrase. Okay, that's kind of what he's going to say. And this connects to what we just looked at in the book of Mark because this is exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate to his audience. Listen, the way you listen matters. How you listen matters. It's really important. So if you want to follow along in in the outline this morning, um, we're going to look at four signs that you are a big baby. Four signs, okay? just sounds so funny saying it. Maybe I should have picked a different title. (laughs) Four signs that you're a big baby. Uh, Here's what's going on in the passage, okay? He is trying to help these guys to see their chosen path of immaturity. And he's going to help them to see how they can come out of it. So we're going to do the same thing. We're going to follow the logic of the text. We're going to say, how do we tell if we're um, immature? And then we're going to ask, how do we grow up? So that's the outline. How do we identify if we're immature? And then how do we grow up? So first, four signs that you might be a big baby. Let's start in verse 11 of chapter 5. Here's what he says. He says, about this... 
We have much to say. Now, first of all, who, what's this? What is it that he wants to say more about? Well, what did he just finish talking about? He's finished talking about Jesus and his high priestly role in regards to this figure named Melchizedek. So he's like right in the middle of unpacking this really cool thing that we're going to get back to in chapter 7. He will end up explaining it, ironically. Um, he's just taking a moment to, to kind of help them out a little bit here. Um, he says, I want to keep talking about this, but it's hard to explain. And I don't think he's saying it's hard to explain. I think he's saying it's hard to explain to you guys, is what he's saying, to the, to the audience, because they're, you're not really interested in hearing. He uses this word. He says, it's, about this, I have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Okay, dull, the Greek word there literally means sluggish. Okay, it means sluggish. It means um, that they've become, uh, where is it, apathetic, lazy, slothful. The Greek word is nothros, if you want to write it down. It's, it's, that they, it's, not that they've, um, it's not that they have hearing issues. It's not that they're just babies. They've chosen to let the muscle of their ear become stagnant. You, you ever have something that you used to be good at and then you just sort of let it go? Okay, like I used to, I, I ran a marathon once. And, and because I ran a marathon once, I get to say I used to be a marathon runner. Um, but really just one. Uh, there was a time, right, four or five years ago, where I, I could just walk out the door and run 20 miles. How fun. I had these great experiences and these long runs with my friends, right? Those days are gone, baby, right? I'm not able to run 20 miles. I have become sluggish. Uh, I could run a couple, Okay, but I can't do that anymore. Why? Because I've let the, the muscle and the, the tone and the, 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 the whatever this thing is, the lungs, uh, cardio, help me out, stamina, yeah, anyone? Okay, I've let all that stuff go away and now I can't do it anymore. So you notice that he'll, he says this in verse 11. He says, since you have what? Become dull of hearing. What does that tell us? They weren't dull of hearing at one point. They've become dull of hearing. Did you know that just because you walk with Jesus for 20 years doesn't mean that you're mature, more mature now than you were 20 years ago? What? I remember the first time I realized that. It blew my mind. I just thought, like, the Christian growth curve was like this, right? And then I realized it was kind of like this. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I realized, wow, you know, just because I was a good listener once doesn't mean I'm a good listener later. There may have been a period in time where I came to church or I opened the word or I turned on a sermon and I was very, like, leaned in. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I still have that same muscle. We can let those muscles atrophy. We can let those muscles fall out of use. And that's exactly what had happened here by this original audience, okay? Uh, now, if you want to write it down, so number one, the first sign that you might be a big baby is you're a lazy listener. You're a lazy listener, bless you. Lazy listener. Okay, it's not, it's not insulting their intellect. This isn't saying these guys just don't have the IQ to understand this stuff. He's saying, no, they're choosing to tune out the truth. My kids know how to do that. They're really good at listening when I say things like, you guys want dessert? And then when I say things like, time for chores, all of a sudden, they can't hear me. And I'm like screaming from the front of the house, it's time for chores. Like, did you not hear me? Oh, no, we didn't hear you. It's, it's dull of hearing, okay? Selective hearing. They've learned to tune out things they don't want to hear, right? That we all do it, okay? We learn to tune out things. So what these guys have done is they've become lazy listeners. They're not actually taking what they're hearing and going, hmm, I need to reflect on this. I need to be moved by this. I need to be changed by this. They've become lazy in their hearing. This isn't just intellectual. This is heart hearing. It's heart hearing. 
So I would encourage you guys to, to consider how, how am I building the muscle of my hearing? How am I practicing actually listening, leaning into God? You notice I had you stand up when I read the word? Why do we do that? Because it gives reverence. It gives attention to your posture is moving in such a way where you say, hey, God, we're ready to listen. And then I had you sit down because now I'm talking. So you got to sift through all this stuff, right? But the stuff we read before I started talking, that's gold. That's God's word. So we stood, right? You ever notice a difference when you're talking to somebody and you're like this and you're kind of finding, you're just noticing yourself zoning out. And then if you do this, you, you become a better listener, right? When the Lord is speaking, do this, okay? When, when, when you open God's word, lean in. That's the posture of a heart that is not lazy. It's not a lazy heart. Warren Wiersbe, he said this, he said one of the first symptoms of spiritual regression or backsliding is a dullness toward the Bible. Sunday school class is dull. The preaching is dull. Anything spiritual is dull. The problem is usually not with the Sunday school teacher or the pastor. It is with the believer himself. Have you ever had a season like that in your life? I had. Man, I'd love to read my Bible. It's just boring. It's just dull. I'd love to, you know, uh, listen to this sermon right now, but it's just, kind of, it's just dull for me. The, the issue might not be the word itself. It might actually be that you've let your listening get out of shape. So sign number one, you're a lazy listener. The second one is in verse 12. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, at this point, you're old enough to be meat-eating teachers, but instead you're milk-drinking takers. You're old enough to be meat-eating teachers. So this is how we know that these guys weren't just young in the Lord. They should have been instructors. They should have been making disciples. They should have been teaching about Melchizedek. But instead, they're taking attention away from this person writing the letter of Hebrews because he has to keep reminding, him, reminding them of what he calls the basic oracles of God. Now, we need to ask the question. We need to interact with this a little bit. What does he mean by milk? What does he mean by basic Oracles of God. Oracles just means the revelation of God, what God has already revealed, what God has already given. What does he mean by that? Because how you determine that will, will make a big difference on what you think it means to be a baby, right? Some people think, well, milk is anything that's like the gospel, milk. Meat is like pre-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, the millennium, um, you know, like the Daniel 70th week, that's meat, so we need to figure, is that true? What's meat? What's milk? We need to figure it out. And the good news is, is that the author actually answers it for us. He gives us a definition of what he means by milk. So skip down really quickly to, to chapter 6, verse 1, and notice what he says. He says, again, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now, this is not saying, let us leave Christ, which is an elementary doctrine. How do I know that he's not saying that? Well, at the beginning of the text, what did he say he wanted to keep talking about? Anybody? Class? Christ. He said, I want to keep talking about Christ. But you guys are a bunch of babies, so I can't do it. So he's not saying, move on from Christ so I can talk about meat when he just said the meat he wanted to talk about was Christ, right? We know he's not saying that. So what is it? Okay, he's, he's saying, leave the elementary doctrines of Christ Implied for what? For the mature doctrines of Christ. Okay, well, what are the elementary doctrines of Christ? He's going to tell us. 
He'll give us six things. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation, note that word, of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, lying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, this we will do if God permits. So he gives six things. The key words I want you to see there are foundation and instruction, or uh, pardon me, not foundation, foundation and elemental. Two of these six things he's gonna give are elemental, meaning that they're things you should just have figured out by now. First one is, <laughs> he says, um, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. In other words, he's saying, guys, I keep having to remind you that you can't live in sin. See, the mature believer doesn't stop sinning necessarily or completely, but the mature believer is connected to the Holy Spirit to the point where he feels or she feels conviction in response to that conviction. These babies were not, right? The author of Hebrews, I keep having to remind you that this stuff is carnal, that this stuff is worldly. This, should, like, this is elementary stuff. He keeps having to remind them of faith toward God. What does that mean? I think it means he keeps having to remind them to believe in Jesus. That's what the whole letter's about. Hey, this is basic. This is elementary. This is step one stuff, right? Then the other four things are foundational. Look at them again. The first one is instruction about washings. What is that? Instruction about washing. When I was in Israel, uh, we went to a city um, ruins called Qumran. Anybody ever been there? Qumran in Israel? Pretty cool. The Qumran community is where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, it was this community of very zealous, sort of set-apart Jews that lived around the time of Christ, and uh, they were very much in Judaism. I don't know what they did with the New Covenant and all that stuff, but what you find when you go there is every 10 feet, there's a bath. It's like, it's like a hot tub every 10 feet. It's literally this bath, 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 bath. And what you realize is that these guys, part of their understanding of what it meant to walk with the Lord in the Old Covenant was they thought they had to be ceremonially bathed all the time. So, I mean, you can't go more than 10 feet without, oops, I'll jump in and ceremonially clean myself. So I think this is what he's talking about here. He's saying, you guys keep wanting to talk about this Old Covenant, Old Testament way of cleansing yourself. And in reality, that thing was replaced and fulfilled by one baptism, that is, Jesus has paid once for all for your sins. So what is the milk? The milk is that they're going back to the old covenant. They're going back to these foundational things that were supposed to be a groundwork for Christ, the substance of these things. Same with uh, laying on of hands. That was an Old Testament kind of idea. And then this, this reference of resurrection and future things, um, I think that's referring to some of the Old Testament teaching about resurrection. Um, and what they're focusing more on is the resurrection they're going to have rather than the resurrection of Jesus and how it has implications for them. So what is the milk? Okay, the milk is this. It's not, um, it's not that these things are evil. It's that these things are extemporaneous. They're not the point. They're not the focus. So what we often do is, as, uh, if we're immature, is we, we focus on anything and everything other than the point. And the point is who? The point is Christ. The, they're, they're, they're so focused on these extemporaneous things that they're missing the point, which is Jesus. Let me illustrate it like this. It's like if you had a meal coming and they brought you some soup that was just broth and you just said, you know what, I'm good, I'm just gonna eat the soup. And you never ate the meal. Or like if you went to a restaurant with your kids and, and, and you put a steak dinner before them with mashed potatoes and broccoli and they said, you know, I'm good. I'm just going to eat ketchup. You ever had kids that eat ketchup? It's like, oh, whatever. If you like it, that's fine. 
Or they're just like, they're content playing with the plate that was meant to hold the, deal, the, the meal, right? This is what these guys are doing. They're, they're, so, they're, they're so focused on the stuff that was meant to serve up Christ. Christ is the meat. He's the full meal. He's the one who can save. He's the one that can actually get them into the presence of God. And they're over here distracted with the milk of ceremonial cleansings and laying on of hands. Okay, they're, they're not focused on the real deal. So number two, write it down. Second way, you, you might be a big baby. You can, you can see it. Second sign is you have toddler taste. You have toddler taste. Okay, any of you guys that have toddlers know there's a thing called toddler taste. I just named it. Okay, do you, do you want this really good like meal that we just cooked? No, I want chicken nuggets. I want french fries. I want toast. I want bland carbs with sugar. That's what toddlers want, right? They just do. That's what, so, so this is the idea here is that you guys are missing the steak dinner of Christ because you've trained your appetites for junk food, for milk, for carbs, for empty calories. Uh, it's, it's a toddler taste. They have a toddler. They don't have a taste for the substance of the deep things of the gospel, who Jesus is, what he's doing. They have toddler tastes. What's our modern equivalent to this? I mean, we're not tripping about, you know, uh, ceremonial cleansing and things. But, you know, I do notice that Christians really get distracted focusing on just about everything other than Jesus sometimes. I mean, there's things that Christians should think about. Politics, eschatology, you name it. The book of Enoch, whatever. There's lots of things that are interesting. But don't eat that and forsake the meat. Christ is the meat. The gospel is the meat. He's not just talking about being a nerd. He's talking about understanding the deep things of Jesus. Now, we're going to see in verse 13, we're going to see two consequences from a milk-based diet. Two consequences from a milk-based diet. The first one's in verse 13. He says, for everyone who lives on milk, note it, is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So here it is, sign number three. Write it down. You might be a big baby if you are number three, if you have defective digestion. Defective digestion. Okay, what does that mean? Well, he's saying here that because they're drinking nothing but milk, they're unable to metabolize the gospel into righteous living, into righteous works. A lack of, listen, this is important, a lack of righteous living is a result of a poor gospel diet. Sin is a failure to believe the gospel. You'll hear me say that a million times if you come here. Okay, sin is a failure to believe the gospel. It's choosing not to metabolize the reality of Christ's victory and Christ's goodness and Christ's salvation into righteous living. He's saying you don't, you're unskilled in the word of righteousness, both in receiving Christ's imputed righteousness and living righteousness because you're not metabolizing meat. You're just stuck on milk, Okay. And then in verse 14, here's another consequence of a milk-based diet. He says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to what? To distinguish good from evil. So if you're on a milk-based diet, you're going to be ignorant. And there's one thing I know about babies. They put everything in their mouth, don't they? Have you noticed that? You've ever had, I mean, I have kids, so this is all fresh for me. Some of you guys were like, that was 50 years ago. I don't even remember. Okay, uh, babies put everything, they just try, take my word for it. They put everything in their mouth. Watching a six-month-old is just like, hey, get that out of your mouth. Don't put that in your mouth. What is, oh, okay, it's a, it's a Cheerio, which is from last week, whatever. By the time it's your fifth kid, man, you don't care. As long as it's food, they can eat it, you know? That's the reality. 
first kid, you're like, oh, no, that cherry was from this morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> as long as it's not rat poop or poison, eat it. Babies put everything in their mouth, don't they? They put everything in their mouth. What is that? The, the sign of immaturity is that you have no discernment. That's what he's saying here. He's saying you have no ability to discern good from evil because your diet is off. Your diet is wrong. My wife and I love this show called Alone. You guys ever seen that? Anybody? Um, three people. Uh, it, it's, it's like one of those shows, they, they, these people go out in the wilderness and they try to survive as long as they can alone. Um, and they usually make it around 70, 80, sometimes 100 days. But by day 70, they're starving. They've lost like 100 pounds. And what's crazy is when you're starving, I've never been starving, so I don't know, but I watched the show. Um, on the show, when, when you're starving, you make really bad decisions. Your motor skills start to shut down. You become really weepy. You're unable to handle hard things. And, and, and these guys start making really like pretty dangerous mistakes. When you're not getting nutrition, it affects your ability to have output, to, to, to produce, to, to discern. I mean, these guys make bad decisions because they're not eating. So the same thing is true here. The, these guys are not able to discern because they're not eating meat. They're not eating the gospel, okay? So number four, write it down. The fourth sign you might be a big baby is you have ignorant ingestion. Not indigestion, ingestion, okay? Gotta make them rhyme, you know? That's just the way it rolls. Uh, ignorant ingestion, you just eat everything. And yet, even though you're eating all this stuff, it's not actually giving you the calories that you need. Um, again, this is not an IQ problem. This is a heart problem. It's a diet issue. They need to know God's will. And by the way, when... The author of Hebrews here is talking about them having meat so that they can know God's will and hear from God. He's not talking about enigmatoyo Christianity. Do you know what I mean by that? Princess Bride, anyone? Enigmatoyo. Whatever. That guy. You know what I'm talking about? He, he, wants to, he wants to find the man in black. So he pulls his sword out and he lets God guide him, you know? That's, that's actually not necessarily what he's talking about. That's, that's not me. What he's saying is, he's saying it's like this. It's like when I come home, when I come home and my kids knew that they were supposed to do their chores, and I come home and I say, why didn't you do your chores? And they, if they said something like this, like, well, we sat and we listened and we waited to hear from you, and you never said to do our chores. So we didn't do that. What am I going to say to them? I told you to do your chores yesterday and the day before, and you knew already that you were supposed to do your chores. I already expressed my will. I've already given you that revelation. You're not listening to the revelation I've already given. So, so much of hearing from God is not an ego mentor. It's not, Lord, please speak, lead, guide me like a metal detector. It's God has revealed his word. He has revealed his will. He has revealed his heart. He has revealed the truth in the word. Are you eating it? So that you can make good and godly decisions, yes, we should seek the Lord. But oftentimes it's like, well, that is obviously from the Lord because I know God. I know his heart. I know his will. I know what he's doing. I know what he's up to. And I know that this tunes into his program, right? It's important to do. You need to read and eat the word. Now, flip over really quick to Ephesians chapter 4. And I just want to show you some similarity here to what Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus chapter 4. This chapter is kind of like core to our philosophy uh, here at Philippi. Chapter 4, here's what Paul says. 
He says, uh, in starting in verse 11, he said, he, he gave, that is Jesus, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, his leadership of the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Ryan mentioned that earlier, right? Um, what's, what's our job as pastors? It's not to do all the ministry, it's to equip the church to do the ministry. It's a paradigm shift, okay? Um, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body, until when? Well, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's meat. The knowledge of the Son of God. That's me. That's stake. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And here's what Paul prays for them. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried, <clears throat> carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human, human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. When I said in the beginning, you're being discipled by somebody at all times. The second you pull your phone out, the second you turn the radio on, the second you turn the TV on, the second you walk out your door, you're being indoctrinated. You're being discipled. Are you being discipled by Christ primarily? Is the question. He's saying you need to grow up in the body so that you don't get tossed around. He's saying the same exact thing. How do we do that? Verse 15, speaking the truth in love. That is speaking the gospel in a loving way to one another. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So how do we grow according to Paul here? Well, first of all, you grow in a body that is healthy, healthy and self-edifying. You grow in a body where immaturity doesn't last long because people are giving meat to you constantly and you're giving meat to others constantly. You grow by being in a body that is gospel declarative, speaking the truth in love, and not just from the pulpit, from you guys, laterally, to one another, reminding each other of the truth of the gospel. You grow by being in a body that is, listen, growing into Christ, not growing into itself. And there's a difference. Growing into Christ means we're, we're growing up into God's will rather than we're just trying to make a thing happen here. So we can say we made a thing happen. There's a difference. So this is why... This is why Jesus, you remember, this is why Jesus was so adamant with Peter. Peter, do you love me? What did he say? You know I love you? Then what do you, what, what, how do I express that love? Feed my sheep. Three times he said it, right? Do you love me? Yep. Feed my lambs. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. Why? Because we need meat. We need the gospel. We need to grow. It's important that we do. We got to grow. And by the way, the shepherd can put food out, but it's still the sheep's job to eat it. Okay, that's just a little side note. Now that we've identified four signs that, that you might be uh, a large baby, um, <laughs> big, big baby. I, uh, now that we've identified that, let's talk about how do we grow, okay? How do we grow up? First of all, I want you, I want you to see that you can. Look at verse one of chapter six again, back in Hebrews here. I want you to see that you can. Look at what the author says. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and what? Go on to maturity. So here's, I want you to hear this. You can continue to grow. You can. It's, it's something you can do. Okay, well, how do we do that? There's three steps in our passage I want you to see. Three steps to growing out of immaturity into maturity in our passage. The first one, write it down. First one is practice what you eat. Practice what you eat. I know, it sounds like I said it wrong, all right? But I didn't. Practice what you eat. 
Practice what you eat. That means do what you hear. It means actually put into practice the stuff that you're taking in. Look again at verse 14. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, note it, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What does that tell us about maturing? It tells us that maturing takes training, constant practice. I don't know what it is in Western evangelicalism, but it seems like we're allergic to the idea of work. I don't know if it's like an overreach of the, the Reformation or something where we're so afraid that we're trying to earn our salvation that we feel like work is always. But here's the thing, okay? Oh, I think I know why. I think we changed the Great Commission. Remember the Great Commission is? Go and make converts, right? That's what it says, right? In the Great Commission? Doesn't it say that? Makes, yeah, it says make disciples. That's my point. That's my point. The, the Great Commission is not go and get people to pray a prayer and then go get more people to pray a prayer. What's the Great Commission? Go and make disciples. What does that mean? Teaching them to do all that Jesus taught. That's a lifelong process. That's a very different thing. The problem is that we're so focused sometimes on just getting people into the kingdom, but we're not focused on actually growing and helping them grow. And it takes work to grow in the Lord. It's not going to happen on its own. It's not just going to accidentally happen any more than I'm just going to accidentally get super buff tomorrow just because I, you know, I had some Dairy Queen at night and I'm gonna, next morning I'm going to wake up and be buff. You have to grow spiritually. It takes, right here, it says constant practice. It takes work, okay? It's the process of discipleship. You know the earliest name for the church in the, in the uh, first century was the way? And that had multiple meanings. I think it meant Jesus is the way, so they were part of the way. It also meant this is the way that we live, the practice of following Christ. It's practice. It's discipleship. The word disciple literally means disciplined one. Okay, so the Christian life, by definition, is one in which we, Paul says, we, we actually control our flesh and we grow in Christ, not to earn our salvation, but to live into the fullness of salvation, to see ourselves sanctify and grow. So first of all, how do we grow up? We, we actually have to work at it. And I'll just say this, it's easy to live on a milk diet when you're not doing anything. It's, it's really easy. I, if you only drank milk and all you did was lay on the couch, you might be okay, depending on how thick the milk is, maybe. I don't know. But when you're doing stuff, when you're working for the Lord, when you're actually busy, when you're putting yourself in situations where you need calories, man, it makes you hungry. You're pouring out to your kids. You're putting yourself in situations where there's demonic oppression. There's spiritual warfare. People are attacking you. People don't want to hear what you have to say. You're pouring yourself out. You're going into hard places, dark places. You're taking responsibility for the building of other people's faith. You're pouring it. Like, you're going to get hungry. If you're not hungry, it could be because you're not doing anything. Start doing something to see if you don't get hungry for the gospel. I'm not rebuking you guys. You guys do a lot. I'm just saying that could be something you need to think about. Could be something to think about. Am, am I doing stuff for the Lord? If I'm not, that might be why I'm not hungry. You notice that the author said in verse 12, he said, you guys should be teaching. You know that there's a step in discipleship that a lot of us miss? There's a step in discipleship where, discipleship, there's a step in discipleship, that's a really hard word to say. There's a step in discipleship that you will not grow unless you actually start discipling others. A lot of Christians, like they follow Jesus for 30 years and they're like, I'm still being discipled, I'm not quite ready to disciple anyone yet. Guess what? You are discipled often by discipling. You're stunting your growth if you're not discipling other people. You're like, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. Start. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have God's word. You can do it. 
Discipleship is just teaching people how to follow Jesus. If you're doing it, then you'll be able to tell somebody else how to do it once you've done it for a little while. That's part of it. That's part of growing up. Spiritual adults take ownership for the faith of other people. You know, when you were 19 and 20 and moved out of your parents' house, what did you do? You start, you know, have your own place, and then eventually you start having your own kids. That's part of the growth process, right? The same thing is true spiritually. At some point, you've got to say, I, I, I need to start pouring into other people. Man, if everybody in this church was discipling somebody in this church, we would be so healthy, so healthy. We need to be discipled, we need to disciple. It's part of the growth process. The second thing, second step in our text is to put down the bottle. Okay, so practice what you eat. Secondly, put down the bottle. I want you to see uh, the imperatives in the passage. There's two imperatives, two action words. First one is go on, and the other one is leave behind. You notice how he says that? He says, I want you to leave behind the elementary doctrines. That means you need to set down the bottle and go after the stake. We need to think about what do we need to lay off so that we'll start to crave something else. Um, have you ever noticed when you're trying to eat good, at first all you want is junk food? And then the longer that you eat good, the less you crave junk food? What does that tell you? It tells you that your, 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 your um, appetite is trainable. You ever notice when you're reading God's word a lot, you want to read God's word a lot? You ever notice when you're not reading God's word a lot, it just seems boring and dull? So what do you do? Start reading God's word. I don't feel like it. Do it anyways. You'll start to feel like it. The more you read it, the more you're going to want to read it. It's true. You got to put down the bottle. What's the bottle? There's a lot of bottles in our culture, isn't there? Social media is a bottle. Netflix is a bottle. Okay? Now, I like milk occasionally. Just saying, you know, a little milk with my cookies is okay, you know. But, but, but put, put it down as your primary diet. You know, a lot of people say, I don't have, I don't have time to read the Bible. Oh, Really? None of us can really say that. We all have time. We're drinking. No, we, we've Twitterized our culture, right? I mean, preaching, I, I'm sorry, like, is preaching going to become obsolete because we can't handle more than 30 seconds of content on, online anymore, right? I mean, you guys are awesome. I preach for 50 minutes, and you guys sit here and listen to me. Thank you. Praise God, right? Uh, but the Twitterized version of, of, of truth in our world, like, we're so used to these tiny little bites. I need everything to be sort of pre-chewed for me. Now, I, I'm not anti-devotional, but I'll also say this, devotions can be a bottle at some point. Yeah, they're, they're helpful. They're helpful. If you only have five minutes in the morning, great, that's fine. But you need to practice cutting your teeth on God's word. You need to practice reading two or three or four chapters and actually understanding them yourself and interacting with God's word. Don't just let someone preach you everything for you. You got to set down the bottle. You got to grow. You got to learn and understand God's word for yourself. Don't just let me explain things. Don't just let Ryan explain things. Don't just let your favorite pastor on the internet explain everything. Read the word. Chew the word for yourself. Build your jaw. Build your muscles. It's important. Number three, not only do we need to practice what we eat, we need to put down the bottle. Number three, we need to pick up the gospel. I just have to make sure this is clear. The author is not identifying milk as the gospel. A lot of people think that way. They think, oh, yeah, the gospel, that was the thing that got me saved. Now it's time to move on to whatever interesting things I can find online, whatever things are on the forum, you know, that Christians are talking about. 
That's not the point. You go, we grow by going deeper into the gospel. What does that mean? It means we grow by realizing more and more and more what a sinner we are, and simultaneously realizing more and more and more what a saving God he is, how he's provided for our weakness and our failure, how much we need him. It means we grow by becoming more and more aware of the evil and the deadness, the brokenness of humanity. Simultaneously, we go deeper and deeper into God's redemptive plan that he is saving, he's restoring, he's resurrecting, he's coming back again. This world is bro- more broken than I ever thought, but man, God is more, God is better than I ever thought. Deeper and deeper and deeper, level after level. And that's, we get to this point where we just go, man, the gospel's transforming me. So I open this sermon by saying, you are what you eat. If you think that means I just need to eat a bunch of information, you'll be prideful, arrogant, and no one will want to hang out with you. Because you're like, well, I eat meat. And what I think meat is, is really big books that make me feel like I'm really smart. No. Read 1 Corinthians 13. You're just a gong. When I say you are, you eat, is that should make us think, I need to eat the gospel. Because if I'm eating the gospel, that's going to make me a more humble man, more humble woman. It's going to make me a more worshipful man, more worshipful woman. It's going to make me a more Christ-like person. The diet of the Christian is the gospel. And the book of Hebrews is a deep dive on an, an, a, a facet of the gospel that Jesus is ascended and that he's ministering, that he's our priest, that we can come to him. Isn't that good news? You are what you eat. So think about what you eat this week. Amen? You guys want to do some discussion? Let's, let's do it. On your, on, your, uh, on your paper there, you got a few discussion questions. You guys got about 10, 15 minutes. If you're just joining us and this is your first time and this is a little intimidating, I invite you just sit and listen. It's okay. You don't have to say anything in the circle, but we find value as a body in turning our chairs, getting into a group of four, maybe five, having a discussion. You guys have the circle uh, questions there. Go to it. I'll come back up and uh, pray and close us out in just a moment.